I'm Mike Capaneri with FEMA External Affairs, and this is the FEMA Podcast. How many of you remember this clip from the 1989 World Series? I'll tell you what, we're having a nerve. Well, I don't know if we're on the air. We are in commercial, I guess. We hear you. I guess I don't hear a thing. I guess Dave Parker. I don't know if we're on the air or not, and I'm not sure I care at this moment, but we are. Well, folks. That's the greatest open in the history of television. It was amazing to hear this while you were watching Game 3 of the 89 World Series between the Oakland A's and the San Francisco Giants. The game was scheduled to start at 5.35 p.m., and the earthquake hit just after 5, with thousands already in the stands at Candlestick Park, and many didn't know what to do. Amazingly, a lot of Midwesters don't realize that we have a fault that runs through the Midwest called the New Madrid, and that we've already had several earthquakes. Today, our guests are Shay Coma, one of our earthquake experts here at FEMA, and Jeff Briggs, the earthquake manager for the state of Missouri. They are here today to tell us what we need to know about earthquakes. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks. For, thank thank you. you for having us. So, Sheikh, let's start with you. What do we need to know about earthquakes? Thank you, Mike. I think it's fair to say that no matter where you live or work, you are exposed to natural hazard. Many of these hazards may be known to you, but possibly not well understood. An earthquake or quake tremors is a shaking of the surface of the earth caused by the sudden movement of the titanic plates. Earthquakes can range in size from those that are so weak that they cannot be felt to those violent enough to toss people around and destroy a whole city. The good news is, by understanding your risk, you can take the right step to minimize or avoid injuries, damage, and long-term financial consequences. Thanks, Sheikh. Now, turning to Jeff and just interested to get your take on how the Midwest is affected and also wanted to note that February is Earthquake Awareness Month for the state of Missouri. Is that right, Jeff? Yeah, that is right, Mike. Every February, we and other states too, but Missouri certainly focuses on letting people know that there's a New Madrid seismic zone. Some people don't know that there's an earthquake risk here in the Midwest. They hear about it in California where the shaking is more frequently felt, but there is a substantial seismic zone based down in the boot heel in the southeast uh, section of Missouri, and it actually averages more than 200 earthquakes per year. Now, a lot of those are too small to be felt, but it does tell the scientists that it is an active earthquake zone. And we focus on February because 1812, where we had the largest of a series of earthquakes, there was a magnitude about 7.5, which is very, very large. And the shaking from those earthquakes a little over 200 years ago were felt not just in southeast Missouri, but throughout the region. And in fact, uh, the shaking was felt all the way to the east coast, hundreds of miles in every direction. Because this seismic zone is very strong, and the shaking goes a long, long ways. There were uh, three main shocks all over magnitude 7 that happened over a course of several week period in late January and in early February. And then there were hundreds, literally hundreds of aftershocks that were felt for the weeks and months after that. So that was the last time we had a major series of earthquakes that happened, and the largest of them happened in February. And we emphasize this every year during Earthquake Awareness Month because the scientists tell us, and we know, that because it's an active seismic zone, it's only a matter of time before there are some large ones that are going to hit again. So, Jeff, uh, that 200 number, that jumps out to me. I don't think that most people realize that there are, on average, about 200 earthquakes per year in the state of Missouri. 
So talking about the magnitude of a seven or eight, and you know, if we were to get that that type of New Madrid event again today, as opposed to back in the you know early 1800s, what would be the impact to the area? Yeah, 200 is surprise a lot of people. We talk about how active it is, and that's actually last year we had more than 300, for example. There are years where it's a lot bigger than some than others. Uh, most of those are not felt, but there are a number of them that are felt. In fact, if you go down to southeast Missouri and talk to people, as I often do when I talk to them, I say, raise your hand if you felt an earthquake. And the closer you get to the boot heel, the higher percentage of hands goes up. And if you're in that area, everybody knows that earthquakes happen and they all feel it. The good news, I suppose, 200 years ago is that there weren't many people living there. There weren't a lot of structures. So the damage in terms of human lives was minimal simply because there weren't many people there. But the effects were felt far, far away. We have numerous reports on the East Coast, church bells ringing in Boston, sidewalks cracking in, in the nation's capital. President James Madison at the time wrote in a letter to Thomas Jefferson that I felt another uh, shaking this morning. There are letters in the Library of Congress between the two that talk about the fact that they felt it, and gosh, that's, what, 800 miles or so away. Wow. So the, the, the shaking was remarkable, and it happened. And the damage was, it was so great that it's hard for us to imagine it. Down in the Boot Hill area, the geology of the area actually changed. There were uplifts. The course of the Mississippi River changed and briefly ran backward because the land lifted up, caused waterfalls and water briefly running backward in that area. There's a large lake called Real Foot Lake, 15, 20,000 acre lake that's in western Kentucky. 250 years ago, that lake wasn't there. It was just a, a low, dry spot. But due to the Mississippi River changing course as a result of the subsidence of the land and the earthquake, it actually filled up that lake. Eventually, the river cut back and went back to its normal pattern, but that lake was created by the New Madrid earthquakes. If that were to happen again, if you consider there are several million people, about seven million people mm -hmm. that live in the area to be impacted by the seismic zone, you can imagine the kind of devastation we'd be talking about. Okay, well, thanks, Jeff, for walking through the history there. Certainly, 1811 is not 2018, and can only imagine what those impacts and, and damages would look like in this day and age. want to turn now to Shake and talk about how we know when something like this is going to occur. In the Midwest, obviously, we're familiar with a number of different types of natural disasters. Earthquake, as we've been discussing, isn't one that most folks maybe think of as something that's going to happen as much. So how will we know when something like this is going to happen? Earthquake is one type of hazard that cannot be predicted, as it can occur without warning and affect everyone in a region within second. And the amount of shaking depends on many factors, such as magnitude, location, type of soil under your building, the type of building you are in, etc. Floods are slow to arrive. Tornado give us warning, not earthquake. So it would be fair to say that an earthquake is, we've heard the phrase, a no-notice event. This would be a no-notice event. That's correct. Right. So what about beforehand? Thinking about preparedness, what can we do before an earthquake happens? Jeff? A number of things you, you can do, and, and as Sheikh just said, since we're not going to get a notice that it's going to happen, it's going to be extra important in an earthquake scenario to prepare ahead of time because the shaking is going to start. You're not going to have any idea that it was coming, and it'll be too late. You're not going to have a few minutes like you do in a tornado, for example. The key thing to remember about earthquakes is that people get hurt by falling debris. That's the risk, that people are going to get hurt by things that fall on them. And so anything you can do in advance to minimize the chances that things falling on you, that's what you can do. And it's a lot of it's very simple, low or no-cost stuff. Look around the room you're in, your home, your school, your business. 
Are there uh, things on the ceiling, heavy things that are not well secured? Then uh, move them or secure them. Do you have a tall bookcase that maybe is next to your bed that might fall on you while you're asleep? Do you have a heavy object on a high shelf? Well, that's something you can easily move and get out of the way. A key thing to remember is your water heater. If you're a homeowner and you have a water heater that is not secured to the wall, that's an easy and smart thing to do in advance. Take a strap, cheap to get at any hardware store, and secure it to the wall. In an earthquake, or in, in some other natural disasters for that matter, but especially in an earthquake, the shaking might cause your water heater to, to fall over. And not only does that cause a big mess, but you've also lost your best source of fresh water. And in an earthquake, people could be without water for a long time. If you can take a simple step now to preserve that water heater, that could really make a huge difference for you and your family. It's simple preparedness, things like that, that you can think about and do now that could make a big difference in, in an earthquake. Thanks, Jeff. Those are some great practical tips that folks can take action on now. What about if someone finds themselves in the unfortunate position of actually going through that earthquake when it's actually happening? So, Shake, are there some things that folks should think about if they're actually experiencing an earthquake and it's, it's happening? Drop cover and hold on. Drop to the floor, take cover under the sturdy desk, table, or other furniture, and hold on to it. Be prepared to move it, hold the position until the ground shaking stops, and if it is safe to move. If that is not possible, seek cover against an interior wall. Avoid exterior wall. Move against an interior wall if you are not near a desk or table. When driving, pull over to the side of the road and stop. Avoid overpasses and power lines. Stay inside the vehicle until the shaking stops. Thanks, Shake, for going through that. Again, obviously, hopefully, none of us are in that situation, but if we are, it's important to think ahead of time, whether you're driving, inside, outside, what to do while that earthquake is actually happening. And also wanted to mention, ready.gov backslash earthquake is a great resource for additional information. That's ready.gov backslash earthquake. Just wanted to mention that as we're talking now, it's just a great resource for all things uh, earthquake preparedness. So now that we've lived through the earthquake, turning to Jeff, what's next? Well, once the shaking stops and you've dropped, covered, and held on, so you're, you and your family are likely going to be safe and you've, avoid, you've done everything you can to avoid falling debris, first thing you want to do is you find your family and you check for injuries. A lot of people are going to want to call 911. We encourage people to only call 911 if you truly have an emergency. Leave that line open for the people who really need it. A real key, and this is a preparedness as well as a recovery thing, is to know how to turn off your utilities. Right after the shaking stops, you know how to turn off your water, your gas. Now would be a great time to do that. Always be careful to avoid live power lines and broken glass and listen to the news for the latest emergency information. And this is the real key for earthquakes to make it different than other uh, natural disasters. An earthquake is not going to happen just once. They always happen in bunches. There are always a lot of aftershocks. So once you've survived this one and you're in the midst of preparations, be aware that there will be other aftershocks. Could be in one minute, could be in a day, could be in a week, but they keep on coming. So always be ready to drop, cover, and hold on all over again. I really like the point that you made about gas valves and knowing how to shut off the gas. <clears throat> we recently purchased our first home and up until that that point had lived in apartments and condos and I never thought about how to turn off the gas in an emergency type of event. And I do think it's really worthwhile to hammer that point home. 
you know, sometimes folks just get caught up in their lives and they don't think about some of the things that yes, we just take for granted. Yes, um, so I think that's a, a really uh, worthwhile point to make there, Jeff. Now, talking about Missouri and what the state's done to be more prepared, and you've talked about some general preparedness measures, but if you could talk maybe a little bit about what Missouri's done to be more prepared, and we talked earlier, or you did most of the talking earlier about a New Madrid earthquake, but could you talk a little bit about how that would be different from the ones that everyone kind of hears and thinks about in California? Yeah, we did talk about this a little bit, but it does bear a little elaboration because it's crucial. Everybody thinks about what they see in Southern California and they assume it's going to be the same here, but it will not. The damage is going to be far more widespread. Everybody in Missouri, for example, will likely feel shaking from a large earthquake in the southeast tip of the state. That's how far the earthquake shock waves travel. And it's because of the the way the geology is here in the Midwest. Out in California, the ground is broken up, rocky and mountainous, and the uh, shock waves do not travel that far. A large earthquake in Los Angeles, for example, is very unlikely to be felt in San Francisco. A large earthquake that has happens here in the New Madrid zone will be felt for hundreds of miles in every direction. And it's because of the way the soil is here. The geology is, it's flatter, and a lot of it's around rivers, so it's loose, wet, sandy soil. Unfortunately, earthquake shock waves travel very efficiently in those kind of conditions. So the damage and the shaking is going to be far more widespread, and people in the region need to be aware of that. The two largest hot spots are St. Louis and Memphis, Tennessee. Lots of people live there. About 7 million people live in the impact area of the New Madrid seismic zone, and a lot of them are going to feel the shaking and perhaps even be damaged by that. And so that's a key thing to remember. The other key thing is because, again, the soil's different here, we have a, a threat to consider that they don't have to worry about on the west coast mainly, and that is liquefaction. What that means is when the type of soil we have, that loose, wet soil, shakes, it turns to mush. It happened 200 years ago. It will likely happen again if there's another large earthquake. So in addition to the shaking that causes debris that could hurt people, the ground underneath you may very well turn soupy, mm -hmm. will not support structures. It will change the geology. And between that ground turning mushy before it refirms up when the shaking stops, and think about that happening over and over again with all the aftershocks, you're going to be left with an area that even after the shaking stops, some people will not be coming back to. They don't want to live there anymore. They're not comfortable rebuilding structures mm -hmm. on land that is susceptible to liquefaction. And that's something we take into account when we do our planning and our exercises, is it's truly going to change the fundamentals about the ground we live on in this area. Yeah, and when you talk about soil, Jeff, I have to admit, I wouldn't have thought that the type of soil, whether it's in the Midwest, the Northeast, or the West Coast, would really have any impact on the aftermath of an earthquake. But it sounds like that's not the case at all. It very much well, that matters. That's exactly, it very much does. And because we haven't had a big one lately, people uh, have become sort of apathetic about it. They're not familiar with it because they haven't had to live through it themselves. But when we plan for it, it's crucial that we keep in mind that the damage area is going to be about 10 times greater than we see on the West Coast. And it's not only going to be shaking, but liquefaction we're going to have to respond to as well. Yeah, and you mentioned the word apathy. And I think that's something that we all want to guard against. Each year, there is an event that's held throughout the country known as the Great Shakeout. And the Great Shakeout is an opportunity for folks to practice, drill, exercise, just thinking about 
what to do when an earthquake hits, how to be prepared. And it's always held on the third Thursday of October. And for those that would like to participate, they can register at shakeout.org. And again, just one of those ways in which we try to push back against complacency and get folks thinking about the topic of earthquake preparedness and uh, what to do if and when an earthquake comes. Shake, if our audience does have any other questions, can they reach out to you, give you a call? Yes, you can email me at uh, Shake, my first name, C-H-E-I-C-K-H dot coma, K-O-M-A at FEMA dot D-S-S dot G-O-V, or you can reach out to Jeff Briggs. Sure, my email address is uh, Jeff dot Briggs, that's B-R-I-G-G-S, at SEMA dot D-P-S, that's short for Department of Public Safety, dot mo dot gov and my and my phone number you can call me anytime 573-526-9232 we've linked this episode on our facebook page and we invite you to join the conversation in the comments thanks for listening